Now, if you don't mind, I just want to preach at you for just a little bit. I have a message that I'm really excited about today. We are in our third and final week of our series entitled The Broken Family Tree. Now, we're celebrating Christmas where Jesus, who is God, came to earth to live among man, to die for man, to rescue man from their sin. And so this whole concept really separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Who would have thought that that God would come live among his creation? Except that's exactly what Christmas is all about. And so in this series, we have been looking at the family tree of Jesus Christ, the people who've gone before him, and we would call them the heroes of the faith. But when you start to dig into their life, you realize that his family members, his lineage was just as broken as any one of us, and they needed Jesus just as much as you and I need Jesus. Now, most of the time when we think about our family members, we try to share the family members we're proud of. We try to share about the family members who accomplished great things. When I lived in South Carolina, Everybody in the South would tell you that they're related to Robert E. Lee somehow. I mean, they all, everybody was. Why? Because they were, they were proud of their heritage and where they came from. Now, I, if I look through my family tree, I try to hide a lot of those people. You know what I'm talking about? Do you have any family members like you don't want to claim them? Right? Okay, that's just me. See, Jesus probably has some of those family members that he was like, ah, you know, I don't know. But what we see is that Jesus came to die even for those broken people. As our kids taught us a second ago in the video and the skit before that, Jesus was a Jew. He, we understand that Mary was a virgin and that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of Mary's womb, but from her lineage, from her heritage, she was a Jew. And Joseph, uh, who would be Jesus' legal adoptive father, was also a Jew. And so this Jewish family all started with a patriarch, Abraham. And Abraham is a man whom God chose in the Old Testament before Christ to start the Hebrew race of the people, to start the Jewish lineage, the Jewish nation. However, when you look at Abraham's life, he was a broken man who needed the promise of Christmas. And just like every single one of us who has ever been born, we need the promise of Christmas. We need Jesus to come and to save us and deliver us. And Abraham is no exception to that. Abraham is perhaps one of the two biggest names in Jesus, Jesus's genealogy. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, when we're getting the genealogy of Jesus, it starts with this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When you look at the big names in Jesus's family tree, the two that are going to pop up the most are David and Abraham. Abraham is the one that started it. From a biblical perspective, it could be argued that the most direct prophetic word to the coming Savior was delivered to Abraham. The promise of our redemption that we are enjoying today was delivered to Abraham. But the one thing that Abraham needed was he needed the promises of God's redemption and blessing in his own life. And that's the big idea of this message. Christmas is about waiting on the promises of God to manifest in your life. And when we look at Abraham, he teaches us to receive the promise of Christmas, and he teaches us how to wait for those promises to be manifested in our life. The account of Christmas, Christ come to the earth, is all about the promises of God 
to the individuals. It's about a promise to you, and it's about a promise to me. One of the best parts of any Christmas, particularly when you're a child, is the anticipation of the good things to come. Right now, Knox is really excited because in years past, he was excited about his own presence, and he's still excited to get to open presents. But now, he's gotten a little bit older, and he's starting to earn his own money, and he is really excited because he gets an opportunity now to give his mom and dad a gift. And so him and Charity went uh, shopping yesterday, and he came home, he's like, I got you the best gift ever. And he's excited. Why? Because he gets the opportunity to deliver that gift to us. And all of us, if we went around, we are excited and anticipating things about the holidays. We're anticipating our family visits. We're anticipating having our favorite dessert, and we're anticipating the promise of giving gifts. There's an anxiety in waiting, but there's also a hope and an anticipation deep down inside of our hearts. And that's what makes Christmas so special. On a spiritual level, the same truth and the same reality applies to our own life. There are promises that Christmas delivers to every single one of us. What are those promises of Christmas? Well, the redemption of our souls and the restoration back to the Father God. The promise of peace in our hearts. The promise of joy in our life. The promise for hope for our mind. The provision for our needs. Grace in relationship. Healing in our body. All of these promises that we read about in Scripture are manifest and made real in the Christmas story. But the problem is, is that for many people during the Christmas season, and maybe even today, particularly in the hour we live in with everything that's going on in the world, a lot of people, a lot of Christians are not feeling that redemption. They're not feeling peace. They're not feeling hope. They're not feeling joy. For many believers, there's a gap in the promises. Maybe during worship, we were singing about how Jesus came to the earth to save, redeem, and rescue us. And as you were listening to those words, you were thinking, but I don't feel redemption in this season. I don't feel this joy and this peace that Christmas is supposed to be about. There's a gap in the promise. You hear about Christmas, you hear about Christ dwelling, but it doesn't look like Christ is present in your current situation. There's a gap in the promise. All you see are the voids in the promise. Instead of redemption, you feel guilt. Instead of peace, you feel anxiety. Instead of joy, you feel sorrow. Instead of hope, you feel despair. Instead of provision, all you see is need. Instead of grace, you're experiencing turmoil. Instead of healing, you're seeing medical reports. Today, I want to point you to the hope. There is hope in the Christmas season. And just because we don't see the promise manifested today, does that mean that God is lax on the promise? And what Abraham teaches us is that we can trust God in the middle. When we don't see the promise being manifested in our life today, we can trust God to be faithful tomorrow. We're going to be reading out of Genesis chapter number 15, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles there with me today. Genesis chapter number 15. And we're going to read the whole chapter. It's a, it's a short chapter. It's very applicable for us today. And here's what the scripture says. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now the scripture is going to call him Abram here because God has not changed his name yet, but no, he's, we're speaking of the same person. Abram is Abraham. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me for? I continue childless in that Hair of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. A member of my household will be my hair. 
And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, for you shall have a very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, speaking of Abraham, believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Shalandines to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how shall I know I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and cut them in half and laid each half against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses and Abram drove them away. When the sun was down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring shall be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterwards they shall come out to the great possession. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Ammonites is not complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I shall give this land. Today, there are some things that we see out of this passage that teach us about trusting God in the middle of the promises. The promise of God for Christmas, for your life and for my life is grace and joy and hope and peace and healing. And yet today you might be in the middle where you feel stuck. You can still trust God in the promise. Abraham teaches us how to approach the Christmas promises. Let me show these to you very quick. The first thing I want you to see is this. Abraham teaches us to be patient in the middle of the waiting for the promises. How many of you are not patient? That's most of us. It has been my observation. I used to think I was not a patient person, but then I look around and every time I ask this question, it occurred to me that most of us are not patient people. And I don't think that's really new for humanity. We've never been very good at waiting. Most of us are patient for about two seconds and then our patience starts to wear thin. You know what I have learned that that can really wear on your patience is an eight-year-old child asking questions. Can I get an amen? If you've ever had raised a child, you will understand that when they hit eight years old, there is a plethora of questions that starts to come from their mind. And you don't know where they come from. These, these questions come from. They just start asking them over and over and over again. It's endless. Questions like, where are we going? What are we going to do when we get there? How long are we going to be there? Where are we going to go after that? What does my college graduation look like? You know, am I going to get married? How many kids do I get to have? Can I stay with you? Can I go on vacation with you? Those are all questions that Charity and I have had in the last at least two weeks, right? Because children ask a lot of questions, and it can wear your patience thin. I saw a picture on Facebook a while back, and it was a picture from Star Wars. And the scene was where Luke Skywalker is there with Yoda, and Yoda has just died. And the caption read this, Now that I have an eight-year-old, I understand why Yoda literally died while Luke was asking him questions. And I have felt that way as a father because the questions, and you want to be patient with your children. You don't want to just blow up on them, but you're sitting there and it's like, Lord, deliver me. Let the rapture happen now because I can't, <laughs> I can't take any more questions. Where's your patience thin? But the problem with promises 
is that there's always waiting in the middle. The word promise is defined as the following. A declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. Notice the key to a promise is it's an assurance of something that's going to happen in the future. If it's going to happen right now, there's no reason to make a promise. If I was to go up to Brother Loki and say, hey, I promise to give you $100 right now, well, there's no reason to promise him that. If I'm serious, I pull out the $100 and I hand it to him. But if I go up to him and I say, I promise to give you $100 in a month, well, then he has to wait between today and when I deliver on the promises. And it's that waiting period that we all struggle with the promises to come. God's opening words to Abraham were, fear not. It's kind of odd words for God to start out talking with Abraham, isn't it? The opening words from God is, don't be afraid. Now, what we have to understand from this context is this, is that there has been a gap from the first time that God talked to Abraham. Back in chapter 12 of Genesis, we see God's original call to Abraham, and God tells Abraham to leave his homeland where he is at and go to this land in Canaan because God intends to make him a father of many nations, and he is going to inherit that land. So Abraham obeys the Lord and leaves his homeland behind. This had to be a joyful moment for Abraham because he learned that he was going to be a father. And this is huge news for Abraham because at the time he's about 75 years old and his wife is barren. They are getting well advanced in years and they are still childless. So I imagine when God gave this promise to Abraham that this is the best news that they ever heard of. I am sure that, that Sarah immediately went to Babies R Us and started buying all the stuff. Like, there's ridiculous all the things they sell you for babies. You know, people have been having babies for literally millennia, and when you go to Babies R Us now, you have to buy like $5,000 worth of binkies, you know, the little pacifiers you get babies. They have all kinds, and you've got to buy all of them, right? And I'm sure Sarah was in the midst of all that. She set up the nursery in the tent, and there was exciting news that all her friends heard, that they are going to have a child. And I'm sure Abraham sat around thinking of all the things that he wanted to teach his son when he was born, and how he's going to take him hunting and fishing, and he's going to teach him to tend after the sheep and the livestock, and all the things that you probably thought when you heard you were going to be a father or a mother. The more important thing is that God said that not only is he going to have a child, but this is going to be a special child because from this child was going to come the Savior of the world. This is a reference to Christmas that we're celebrating today. However, in chapter number 15, it's been about 10 years have passed and there has been no baby. 75 to 85 is a big age difference, particularly when you're talking about having children. The new baby gear was starting to collect dust, and the nursery items had long been donated to family murders who had their own children. And apparently, fear had crept into the heart of Abraham. Abraham was afraid that the promise wasn't going to come to pass. We've already established that we're not patient people, and often what causes impatience in our life is a fear that the promise will not come in time. Think about the things that cause fear to creep up inside of your heart. God's promise is provision, but I don't see that provision today, and I'm afraid that I'm going to have financial ruin tomorrow. God's promise is to forgive my sins, but I feel guilt 
And I'm afraid that maybe God doesn't love me and I won't make it to heaven. God promises me peace, but I'm struggling with anxiety and I don't know if God's going to come through for me in time. Fear causes impatience in our life very quickly. But when God showed up on the scene, he said, do not be afraid. I am your shield and your reward. God was trying to get Abraham to understand that he could be patient in the middle of the waiting because God was enough for Abraham. He was Abraham's shield. He would protect him from infertility. And he was also his reward. God was enough. He was the one that was going to provide all these amazing things that he had promised to Abraham at just the right time. Abraham was missing the fact that he was already blessed and who God was to him. And that's one thing that causes us a lot of problems because in the middle of the waiting, we start to get anxious and we start to get fearful and we forget our identity in Christ. We forget that God is our shield. He is our reward. And when he's in our life, there is enough. We don't have to see the outcome. We don't have to see the provision. All we have to do is trust in the Lord. He was God's chosen man. Abraham didn't have to do anything to fix the barren situation. All he had to do was have faith in the waiting. He had to trust in the promise of God. And that should bring us a lot of comfort because there's nothing we have to do to make sure that God delivers on his promise other than living in faith and obedience. Abraham was doing everything that God had told him to do. He was living in faith. He was living in obedience to God. He left everything behind as God had told him. He had moved where God had pointed him to go. And now all he needed to do was be still and trust in the promise of God. And when you're living in faith and obedience to God, there's nothing else that you can do and there's nothing else required for you to do to let the promises of God to manifest in your life. You just have to be still and trust in God's timing. See, what a lot of us want to do is we want to manipulate the pieces in our life to try to hurry up the process. But what we see from Scripture time and time again is God's called us to faith and he's called us to be obedient based upon our confession of faith. So when your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're living according to his word, there's nothing else that you can do or are required to do to make that faith and that that process and that promise happen faster. You have to trust God. And what this teaches us is there's a lot of things we're going to run into in life that we can't fix. Abraham could not make his wife be fertile. There was nothing he could do. There was not one thing that he could do different. He had to trust God. And there's going to be situations and seasons that you run into life where you're going to see a problem and there's nothing you're going to be able to do to fix it in the natural. You're going to wish you could, but you're going to have to trust God for the outcome of the promise. Now, the question is this, why does God make us learn patience? That's a great question, isn't it? Why does God make us learn patience? You know, I don't know the answer to that. I wish I did. You guys are thinking, who? He's going to tell me the answer. I wish I did. If I had the answer for that, I'd be a very wealthy person. Because I'd write that in a book and I'd sell it, right? But I don't have the answer to that. In Abraham's case, why did God make him wait another 25 years before he had a child? I mean, think about it. If you had the option to having a baby at 75 or 100, which one would you take? I definitely wouldn't take the 100, right? Some of you are like, I ain't having a child at 75. What are you talking about? I don't blame you. Some of you are like, I'm not having children at 45. Don't blame me there either. 
But I do believe that we can look at the Word of God and we get an idea of why God makes us learn patience. And the answer is because God is more concerned about who you're becoming than what you have. See, the Scripture tells us that God is trying to conform us into the image of His Son. You can read about that in Romans 8, 29. God is trying to conform you into the image of your Son. Of His Son, rather. How many of you know Jesus was incredibly patient? And if we're not, and we're supposed to be like Jesus, we have to learn patience. And what's the best way to learn something? By practicing it. So throughout the journey of life, God is going to lead you down strange paths in order to shape you into the image of his son. And this teaches us an important truth. Patience is part of the character and the nature of God. So we cannot become disciples without becoming patient. Let me read it to you. 2 Peter 3.9 says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How many of you have ever went to God after you sinned and you said, God, I promise you never to do it again. And then you did it again. Raise your hand. Let's be honest. We've all done it. And how many of us want God to be patient with us? And like, we go back, we're like, God, okay, I try, I'll try again. Right? I promise not to say any more bad words. And then we go say more bad words, and we run back to God. And through a process, God starts to shape our hearts till one day we get freedom from that. What's going on? God, through his nature and his character, is being patient with you and with me. Therefore, if we want to be children of God in the image and the likeness of his son, conformed to the image of his son, then we have to learn patience. We have to be like him. Therefore, we should anticipate many seasons in which we have to learn and grow patience. And oftentimes what you're going to discover is God's going to put you in seasons where your patience is tested beyond what you can bear so that you can learn to trust him. This is not unique to the kingdom of God. God will give you promises without deadlines, and then he will expect you to be patient and to learn in the waiting. It is interesting in this exchange because God said to Abraham, I'm your shield and your, your reward. And Abraham responded, Oh Lord, what shall you give me? Because my servant is going to inherit all of my possessions. Now, the reason why this is interesting is because this is the first time that Abraham has spoken to God. In the previous chapters, we see God speaking to Abraham, but we don't have a recorded incident where Abraham spoke back to God in a reply. In this waiting and patience, God is trying to get Abraham to see that he's already made him the father of many nations, but Abraham just hasn't realized it yet. And here's what we need to understand is that if you're a child of God, you surrendered your life to Christ. And what the scripture says in the spiritual realm, you have received the full benefits of the promises, but they might not be manifested or realized in your life yet. Here's a good example of that. God promises that one day in heaven, he's going to wipe every tear from our eye. We're going to have no more aches, no more pains. There's no more death. How many of you are waiting for that day? Because you're like, man, my knee hurts all the time. And I'm looking forward to the day it doesn't ache. What does that mean? You have the promise delivered. One day there's no more pain. But today I'm feeling some pain. You're in that gap where the promise hasn't been manifested in your life yet. What does that teach us? It teaches us to be patient. It doesn't undermine that we are his children. We just have to be patient in the middle. 
So the first thing we see is that Abraham teaches us patient in the middle for the promises. The second thing we see is that Abraham teaches us to look to the word in faith. After Abraham asked God what he could give him, God told Abraham to go outside and to look up to the sky. When Charity and I lived in western Oklahoma, we lived way out from any sort of city lights. So if you would go out on a nice clear evening, you could look up into the sky and you could see light or stars like you couldn't even begin to count. It was just absolutely breathtaking. And so when God called Abraham to walk out into the night sky and he looks up and he sees all these stars and God says, see if you can count them all. Well, it was an impossible task for Abraham. And what God was doing in this moment was he was trying to get Abraham to elevate his level of thinking. Abraham was currently 85 years old. His body was old and he was trying to piece together how the promise of God was going to work and he's getting despaired and God called Abraham to look up. And it's almost as if God was saying, look, I spoke everything that you see. You can't even begin to count these stars. I spoke it into existence. God's word is so simple and yet so complex. It's so simple and yet powerful. Simply by speaking it, everything appeared. And in the moment with Abraham looking up towards heaven, he realized God said, just as you can't count the stars, you're not going to be able to count your offspring. It's beyond count. Abraham's faith was elevated because he was looking at the word of God and the promises of God. There was no option in the matter. God spoke and something was going to happen. God spoke and Abraham was going to have a son. What happened in this moment was that Abraham received a word from God and he put his faith in it. His faith was activated. And if you read through this passage, verse six is the linchpin because it says that Abraham believed in the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. When you get to a point of hopelessness and in a desperate situation and you're discouraged by your situations, you have to start looking at the greatness of who God is. There are many times in life when the waves are going to start crashing in and doubt's going to start creeping in and fear is knocking on your door. In those moments, you have to look up to the heavens, you have to look to the word of God, and you have to trust in God. If God can speak all these things into existence, then he could bring Abraham offspring. And if God can speak all these things into existence, then you have to trust God that he can bring your provision when you need it. We have to remember something. This is not just a book. The scripture says that this is living and active. This is his promise and his word to you. God is still speaking to you. That's why we value this. That's why we read it. Because it's God's word, it's God's word to you. Now, this is very important to understand. Abraham wasn't righteous because of a covenant that God made with him. Abraham was righteous because he had faith in God's worth, and his faith helped him to enter into that covenant. I want to read to you a passage out of Romans that helps explain this to us. It says this in Romans 4, verse, starting verse number 13. This is commentary. This is Paul in the New Testament writing about Abraham and how we can learn from his faith. He says this, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir to the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it had been about the adherents of the law who were to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also those who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed... 
who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he, speaking of Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as it had been told to him. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith is counted to him as righteous. But the word it was counted to him was not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord, who delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our our justification. This passage is commentary on Genesis 15 that we just read. When Abraham gets the word of God, the scripture here in Romans says he looked at his own body and he realized it was as good as dead. Here's the facts. 85-year-olds don't have children. And Abraham looked at his body, and he said, I know that my body is dead. I know that my wife Sarah's body is dead. In the natural, there is no way we are going to have children. But I trust that if God could speak everything into existence, and I trust if he gives me this promise, then in spite of what I see in the natural, I'm going to believe in him. Here's what that teaches us. Faith is not being naive and it's not being ignorant. You don't have to pretend to be dumb to have faith. You can look at your situation and you can identify your reality and you can still have faith. You can look and say, in the natural, my situation is bad. It's really bad. But I know in the spiritual realm, God can do anything that he chooses to. Romans 4.23 says that it wasn't just for Abraham, but it was also for us. When we believe that Jesus rose from the dead to be our Lord and Savior, and we put our faith in him, we're brought into a covenant, and God is faithful to his promises to us, just as he is to Abraham. That's why it's important to get a word from the Lord. Now, we say that as Christian talk in church. What does it mean to get a word from the Lord? Well, here's what I want you to know about that. When you read through this Bible, there are promises to you. One of the, one of the best ones is Jesus said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. That's a promise to us. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came to give you life and life to the full. That's a promise to us. You can read in Isaiah 53, talking about the work that Jesus was going to do on the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Chastisement brought him peace was upon us. And by his stripes we're here. Those are all promises. And there's countless more that God gives to us. So we can trust in that promise. How does that work practically? When I sin, I go to God and I say, God, look, I confess and I'm sorry. And 1 John 1, 9 says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from our unrighteousness. I can trust in him. That means when I get a doctor's report, it's no good. I go to him and say, God, I know that he says, by your stripes, I'm healed. I don't know if that means on this side of heaven or on that side of heaven, but I know that you have my life in your hands and I trust in you. And I'm standing on your promise. When you come and there's a problem in a relationship and you say, you know what, God, I'm going to do what your word says. I'm going to go to this person. I'm going to talk to them in grace and humility and love. And I'm going to trust you for the outcome of that. You might not be able to fix that in the moment, but you have to trust that God can work in a way that you can't see. When you need and have a need in your life, and we all get there where we look at the checkbook and we look at the bills and they don't match up. And we say, God, you promised that when I'm faithful to give to you and I'm faithful to be obedient with my money, that you promised to bring a provision and I'm trusting you right now. 
I promise you, I've quoted God that verse many times. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And you know what? God has always delivered in his promise and his timing and in his way. And I've never been without need. Third thing we have to do is we have to find an anchor point of praise in the waiting. In Genesis 15, we see in verse 6 that Abraham had faith. And then in verse 8, he's told about all these things would take place and he's asking for clarification to God. He just wants to be on the right page with God. He's not asking the questions out of a lack of faith. He's just saying, okay, God, how's this going to all work? And the Lord said, I'm the one who brought you up out of the land of Ur. God was pointing Abraham to look at his past experience to build confidence in God's future faithfulness. So when you get into a place of waiting, the best thing you can start to do is look back at how God's worked in your life in the past to trust him to meet your need in the future. If you're in this room, there's a good chance that the Lord has brought you from somewhere. He's brought you through some pain or he's brought you through some sickness or some addiction or some despair, turmoil or heartache or sin. He's brought you out of those things. You saw him work in your life in the past. Hold on to that as evidence for what God will do in the future. What's interesting is, is that Abraham was responsible then to give a sacrifice, an offering to confirm this promise. And here's what we see. Worship helps you to overcome doubt because worship reminds you who God is. In the middle of the waiting of the promises, worship can be an anchor that keeps you grounded. True worship. Not worship that just songs that we sing to make us feel better, but declaring the character of God and declaring the works of God and declaring the, war, the glory of God. When you start truly worshiping, it changes your perspective on your situation. When you start singing about the character of God, you know that he's always faithful. When you start singing about the works of God, you know that he's always powerful. When you start singing about the glory of God, you know that his righteousness dictates his moves. That's why in the middle of pain, we start to worship. That's why in the middle of waiting, we start to worship. Because it reminds us of who God is. Worshiping lets you learn that you can trust in God and you can wait in the season. Now, what's interesting is as Abraham is worshiping, he's offering the sacrifice that the birds of prey and the vultures try to come in and to ruin his sacrifice. And the Bible says that he chases them off. And you better believe it when you start to remind yourself of who God is, that the enemy is always going to try to show up to ruin your worship. So don't allow negativity to ruin your praise and don't allow doubt to overcome you and don't let setbacks cause you to give up on God. Chase the vultures away from your praise and anchor yourself in God's word and worship in him and have confidence that he'll be faithful. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. The key to understanding this passage is to know that the Lord made a covenant with Abraham pointing to Christ. And that's what connects all this together for us. God's original call to Abraham was that he would be the father to many nations. What that means is through the lineage of Jesus Christ, many people were going to be saved. That's why we celebrate Christmas. The promise that God gave to Abraham thousands and thousands of years ago was pointing to Christmas that we are celebrating in this season. Those of us who believe in Christ become spiritual children to Abraham. So God gives Abraham and Sarah this promise, and within a few years, the promise arrives, Isaac. 
And Isaac had Jacob and Jacob had countless people born into his heritage. And several hundred years later, the first Christmas fulfilled the promise that God was given to Abraham. And here's what I want you to see. Christmas is all about God delivering the promises. So when you look at the past and you look at what God did in Abraham, and you see that it was fulfilled in a manger in Bethlehem, then you know when you look at this word that God will be faithful to deliver in his perfect timing the promises you need right now. What's amazing is that through these promises that God gave to Abraham, it wasn't limited just to the nation of Israel. Those promises are available to everyone who believes. That's what Paul was saying in Romans. When it says that Abraham was credited as righteousness, it wasn't just for him only, it was for all of us. Because Christmas is about making a new covenant with man. Christ coming to be God with us is the best news that any of us could hear. Because within that, we have our salvation. Within that, we have our peace. Within that, we have our joy and our salvation and our provision. And we have our healing.